You know, we can oftentimes focus too much on the success of individuals in the ministry, and dare I say, in a very unhealthy way, give them too much praise and attention. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to be diving in to explore how we should be looking openly and obediently to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you, as always. Blessed to be with you guys and all of my faithful listeners throughout the world as we, on this podcast, study God's Word and fall more in love with it. This is not just a head knowledge experience that we are seeking, but we are looking to be empowered by God's Word that we can stand strong faithfully in His unshakable Word The Bible declares that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words endure forever. You know, it reminds me as we're getting to this podcast of a book I wrote with a colleague friend of mine, Dr. Alex McFarland called Stand Strong in Your Faith. And we have an entire chapter about the importance of the Bible. And in that, in the opening, uh, we shared how there are so many people who claim to be Christian uh, for many years. And yet they know very little, they've spent very little time in God's word. My friends, say that isn't so with you. I mean, the first thing that we need to be doing when we rise up as we thank the Lord for another day and that he would use us through the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would honor him by using and exercising our spiritual gifts to advance his kingdom is to be grounded in God's word, to study it and to memorize it and to teach it. And so I pray that uh, if you've been listening for any period of time that you have felt that in your own personal life and just i mean uh, in this mic i want to tell you guys that i just come with a heart of gratitude and brokenness as a brother as a as a fellow brother in christ that we can spend this time in god's word and now it's been a few weeks i've been traveling abroad my wife and i um, took our second oldest uh, on an england trip it was one of her dreams and my wife had lived there uh, for many years, way back when, when she was uh, in middle school and went to British school. And so along the way, we were able to show our daughter where my wife grew up. And before we got married, I actually spent some time there in that house with her parents when they were still living there in England and got to see where she spent some of her years um, as a teenager. And so it was just very precious and it was just a, a sweet time. And also as we hit a lot of the minsters and abbeys and cathedrals uh, is a reminder of some Uh, great men of God who faithfully preached God's word and then knowing how vacant and depleted uh, the preaching of God's word is in that beautiful country. And, and I pray that that's not the case in America. We are steadily seeing a decline in hermeneutical uh, preaching, proper homiletics, uh, proper interpretation of scripture. Uh, We get very little verse by verse. Um, As you guys know, you know, this is not to preach uh, in that sense, like a sermon, but this is more of a Bible teaching uh, podcast you know, where we can open God's word together in chronological order and study it and not be rushed. And And so I just was reminded coming back of just the rich history that we have as Christians uh, and all the men and women who've gone before us, but also praying that we would see oh, an awakening, a desperation, if you will, like Amos 8 for God's word. And so this is podcast 219 now, and we're transitioning now into chapter two. 
So as always, if you've missed any previous podcasts, uh, you can always get it wherever you download your podcast. Subscribe so you guys get alerts every time we post uh, a new one. And I do want to say before we get started that we are definitely still trying to figure out uh, what is the best avenue to upload all of my notes. Um, and so we're, we'll, I will let you guys know on this podcast. So again, subscribe so that you guys can get alerts and notices and share. Uh, would you do that? Will you leave a review and let people know? Um, we continue to grow in different platforms, which is great. And it's just an, it's just an honor. It really is. And I can't wait to dive into this second chapter. So if you have missed any portions of chapter one, I just encourage you guys to go back and listen to those episodes and email me. Let me know if you have a question regarding anything that we've covered up to this point at info at standstrongministries.org. And of course, the ministry is standstrongministries.org is the website for the ministry. So let's dive right in here. We're going to be covering verses one through five today, and and we're going to be transitioning now into chapter two, obviously always building from where we left off. And the, the, the teaching here is it's not what you think. And this is going back to what I said in the opening. You see, a lot of times, and when I say even a lot of times, it is very subjective and it's hard to measure. And what I'm getting at is we regularly, routinely, okay, and also subconsciously, focus so much in the efforts of man and the attention and praise of man. And I'm I'm not saying it's always wrong and that it's always idolatry and worship and false worship, but I think we have to redirect our focus onto what's really going on. If you really evaluated the ministry that you're involved in, the church, the local church that you are plugged into, you're a member, you're part of that fellowship, you serve, you tithe, whatever, okay? So whatever that looks like, I want to ask you this question. And you and you know, if you follow me on this podcast for quite some time, uh, the emphasis of the third person, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, what activity should you be seeing in your church, according to scripture, that the Holy Spirit has and that you're also seeing the fruit of that and the submissiveness and the, and the response and the obedience. How are you seeing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit being reflective in your leadership? Because it's not about, then there's so many churches that we get so fixated on, like the big iconic ones of Elevation and, and Hillsong and the Joyce Mars, which is a total false teacher, as you guys know on this podcast. Don't buy into her teaching uh, of scripture. I'm not saying everything she says is wrong, but she believes her view of Jesus, the Trinity, positive faith, positive thinking, new agey stuff, it's all wrong. But when you think of these big churches, the T.D. Jakes's and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, our, our, our focus is on that founder, that leader who had the vision. And we oftentimes you know, prioritize the way that we look at them and and to them too much. And we neglect. I think a lot of Christians are neglecting, and there are definitely a lot of biblically literate Christians 
who are who are falsely praising um, the Steve Furtick's of the world and then fill in the blank whoever else and giving them way too much credence and too much credit, you know, and, and, and it's like the movement is of them, right? And it, it's almost like they have been deemed a saint and like they, they are uh, an untouchable. And that's just not the case. And, and what we have to look at you guys, and this isn't, again, well, the reason I'm saying this because I'm guilty of it as well. And if you've been around me for quite some time, like even in ministry, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm thankful when people say, hey, you know, your book really touched me. I mean, absolutely. I love hearing that. But not to the point where I let my pride and say, yeah, it's all about me. I'm like, yeah, I did this. Uh, and then, of course, even if you give your backstory, a lot of times I have, they ask the question, you know, it's the simple pointed question, what made you write the book? You know, what was it like writing the book? What did you, what was the main purpose of you writing the book, et cetera, that kind of stuff. And it's okay to share and it's great to share pe- share with people why that is. But you don't want to get to the point where it's like, it's all about me when you give the backstory and my research and when you my education and this and that, you know, it's like all about like my ability. That's wrong. You know, it's, it's, it should always start in prayer and saying, Lord, how can I advance your kingdom as a servant of Christ? We're going to see in chapter three, there are people who plant, there are people who water, but it's God who gives the increase. We don't. So when you have growth in ministry, and, and please hear me, because as we talk about Paul's meek approach here and his reliance on the Holy Spirit, that's it. So that's why in the end, it's not Jason says this. This is what we see the apostle Paul saying and how he lived out in his ministry. And I need to follow that. Now the pride, right? The flesh doesn't. The, it, I want to take the credit in the flesh. And you have to fight against that. You have to ask the Lord. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, right? To give you the strength to overcome those temptations, not to give in to that. And so this is so important, my friends, because I see so often as we get into chapter two, people do not have this meekness and they just let these praises, these uh, this, this applauding of people around them to consume them. And before you know it, they're the ones that are being worshiped, okay? It, it doesn't mean these people that are doing that are focusing too much on man or renouncing Jesus as Lord. This is what happens is, you know, we are idolizing people too much. And we need to, we need to really uh, rectify that. And so it starts with us, my friends here on this podcast. And so I, I just, that's why I was saying, look at your church. How's the Holy Spirit being moved? You know, how are we identifying that and worshiping the Holy Spirit and, and honoring him rather than giving all this and these accolades and praise to man. So right off the bat here now, as I, as I've kind of laid into that in this opening, we see that Paul says here in verse one, and verses one and two is about this meek approach. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Notice, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right, let's stop there and let's break this portion down before we look at verses three and four and verse five. So notice here that Paul starts off this chapter with this emphatic, and I, and the reason he does this is because what Paul's doing is he's proving his trustworthiness as an apostle. 
he is saying that I've been sent by God. You go back to verses one and two in chapter one, right? That we covered. And he says, I've been sent to teach God's truths. Ephesians 3 talks about this mystery. Romans 16 talks about him being called to to reveal this mystery of the gospel that no one has been able to uncover. No one but Paul. So think about that. That's made him that may it's made Paul more special, right? Or more recognized or more prominent or more prevalent as a key figure in scripture than most people because of the unique calling. And yet Paul says, I didn't, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testament of God with lofty speech or wisdom, though he's bright, one of the smartest alive. It's not, it's not how he came. And that's what I'm saying, guys. And I've been around so many, many scholarly people that I've learned a lot from, but very arrogant. And in essence, it's like what they're conveying to you, what they've written, what they've lectured on, what they've published, what awards they've received is because of their brilliance. You know, and it's like very little room or recognition. Uh, and even if they say, oh, I want to thank God and just move on and just, it's all about them. Paul doesn't do that. You know, when, when Paul arrived in Corinth, if you look back in Acts chapter 18, this is about 8051. Okay. You know, he, when he came at that time and he's still fairly new in the ministry, if you think about it. Okay. He's got a lot of, you know, bumps and bruises along the way. But he didn't come using this Greek rhetoric, okay? That's basically what he's implying that we, we render here in the English lofty speech or wisdom. He's basically saying, guys, I didn't come with this Greek rhetoric was very common and known in those days. Uh, but it also carries this idea of clever argumentation. And what that implies is uh, uh, winning debates among the Corinthians. So he says, my persuasion over you wasn't trying to be the top rhetorician. When I came to proclaim the gospel, right, that he talked about in verse in chapter one, excuse me, was not with clever argumentation to win you over. Uh, he's saying I relied on the power of the of the cross and of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit is what raised Jesus from the dead. So when he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what? I want to stop and say this. If you can just pray that over me, over yourself, over the leaders in your life, your spiritual leaders, that that they would put aside, right, their accolades, their um, PhDs, the number of books they've written, whatever, and just says, I want to know nothing more than Jesus Christ. Just I just want to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's so amazing. It's so simple. But I sit there and I read it over over and over again for I decided to know nothing. I decided. See, that's the point is Paul was coming to them. These are Corinthians. These are people of great renown, deep Greek uh, thinkers. And Paul's like, I decided as I prayed and, and, and pontificated and, 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 you know, reflected on this stuff that I am going to only come to you about Jesus Christ. And so there's this resistance. So there is in the flesh, Paul was struggling, but he's submissive under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
to come to them, to tell them about Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve. And that is in the vein of Paul's ministry about the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember, that's foolishness to them. And he's like, no, it doesn't matter. You think this is absolutely absurd. Think about in the, in the world that we're living in today, especially in, in the European culture and uh, in, in most communistic uh, cultures and in, even in the cancel culture in America, where th- this idea of Jesus being the son of God and dying on the cross and rising again is absurd to so many people in the world today. Like you are ridiculous. You are not considered academic if you believe in miracles. And yet Paul's like, I'm coming in great humility. This is, this is the meekness that we see with Paul. Now, when he was touring Athens, Luke records that Paul's, he says in Acts 17 verse 16, spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So here's what's amazing is when, when Paul decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ, remember when he was touring around in Athens, this, again, magnificent city that has achieved so much, okay? And, it, and, and their, the minds of, the, of that day, the Athenian mind, was considered some of the brightest in the world, the known world at the time. Well, he was provoked within him because they had all these idols and yet they didn't know the son of God. And so Paul was drawn to reach the Corinthians with the gospel. You know, have you ever felt that? And that's one thing when you're around like somebody who's a full-time missionary to a specific tribe or native tongue, uh, you know, a group of people and they're just determined. They've just been led by the Holy Spirit. And they've, they've sacrificed and given so much. Of course, to them, they don't. But we're looking at them thinking, oh my gosh, you've, it's amazing how you're living uh, so faithfully for God. But they're so focused on presenting the gospel to that group of people to get the, 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 the gospels, the New Testament, the, the Bible itself in that native language. It's amazing. And that's Paul. Paul was just focused in on reaching the Corinthians with the gospel. So literally, it's it's a word picture says it like this, for I did not decide to know anything among you. So it wasn't Paul's educational background or his ability to debate that would save the Corinthians. So that's that's in essence what's happening. It's like, it. I know it's not about me. I can't save you. So why would I come come about it with at that angle with that with that approach at that angle? That'd be foolishness. He knew for, for the Greeks to have saving faith, he needed to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit. He needed, as he says in Philippians 2, 5, and 11, to have the mind of Christ. And you remember that? In that passage in verses 5 through 11, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Paul is coming to the Corinthians in the work and power of the Spirit, but as a servant as Christ came. So then when we look at verses three and four, notice his reliance on the Holy Spirit. So he comes with a meekness and then he comes 
with the reliance. So think of meekness and reliance. When we are meek, it's because we're relying on the Holy Spirit. We're not relying on ourselves. He says in verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So Paul wasn't a poster child, okay? Of the, uh, think of it as the Greco-Roman rhetorician club. Okay, so think of any cream of the crop clubs that you have in your vicinity. And Paul's like, I'm not a poster child of that. I'm not coming because I'm like Mr. Olympia in Greek rhetorician, right? I'm a stud. You know, he says, I came in weakness and in fear. So this description portrays Paul breaking down emotionally when he was among the Corinthians. You know, what's amazing about this. And this is something we've touched on repeatedly in the, in the first letter to the Thessalonians. This reveals here in verse three and four of his connection with the Corinthians that he had a shared bond question. Do you have that with the people that are in your church? Do you have that with some of the pastors in your church? You see the Corinthians, they glorified themselves or they gloried, I should say in their education, in their wealth, in their strength, in their giftedness, right? In their ability to uh, use debate and argumentation. While Paul's life, on the other hand, was was to be a model of Christ, was to to be a a servant who was humble, and to show them that through Christ you could be forgiven of your sins. I mean, the power of Christ's blood forgives people of their sins. NIV Biblical Theological Study Bible says, "Quote." Paul refuses to use himself as proof for the credibility of his message. He does not seek to impress his listeners by a powerful appearance. That's ethos in Greek rhetoric. He does not overwhelm his audience with a persuasive presentation. That's pathos in Greek rhetoric. He does not use wise and persuasive words in a brilliantly arranged argument. That's logos in Greek rhetoric. He renounces the traditional rhetorical means of persuasion because he knows that Jews and Greeks will accept the proclaim the proclamation of Jesus only as a result of a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That is to say, if and when the powerful Spirit of God convinces people of the truth of the gospel, Paul does not disparage learning and eloquence of such as his speech before the Oropagus Council demonstrates, but he excludes it from the determining the content of the gospel and from assessing the credibility of the preacher, end quote. So it's always an important thing when we talk about ethos um, or ethos or pathos and logos. Ethos is dealing, again, with the powerful conviction, okay? The persuasion, the passion is pathos, and the logos is the brilliance or the argumentation, right? The intellect. And he's, he says, I'm not coming with that approach. That, again, it's not meaning that he, he's not reasoning with them, right? He's, he's not throwing out all reason. He's just saying, I'm not coming to use that type of method to think it's going to win you over. And that's a lot of things. And I've done this in the apologetic world. You're thinking... You know, I'm assigned to give a presentation and 
you know, either people who've taught before you or people will be teaching them uh, alongside of you during this conference or what, or, or camp or whatever. And, and sometimes the focus is like trying to impress, trying to be smarter, trying to, uh, you know, be the best speaker. And, and immediately when we do that, we're not relying on the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And that is the Greek word, apodexius. It's a language that conveys providing proof or evidence in a court of law. It means to show forth. So when we're not focusing on the demonstration of the spirit and of power, then it's not going to show forth. And this is the only time that Paul uses in demonstration. And it carries the idea of the power of the spirit um, in Paul's life that it was proof that he was an apostle. It, and, and that his message was indeed from God. You know, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he writes there that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So you want to know a sign of you walking before the Lord and in power is you're relying on the Holy Spirit. And you will see the demonstration of the Spirit and of power when it's not about us, but it's about him. And so now that shifts our focus here in verse five, as we close on this hope that he has for the church, because he writes here, so that your faith, so notice, so that, so after what he, what we just read, when he was talking about not coming in, you know, brilliance, uh, but in weakness and fear and much trembling, my speech and my message, he says, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, but in the power of God. Please hear me when I say this. When we focus more on the presenter than the siller, Ephesians 1, 13, 14, which is the Holy Spirit who seals us unto the day of redemption, meaning he's bought us, through the blood of Christ, he sealed us, meaning we are secured by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. When we focus more on the visionary, on the leader, the man, okay? I go to bookstores, tons of books on leadership, tons of books on people like Alexander the Great, uh, Winston Churchill, looking at brilliant minds of Cicero, you know, and... Uh, Plato and Socrates and, and, and listen, I love the founding fathers. There's a lot of stuff I love about them. I want to read about them. A lot of the controversy and things I disagree about them in their theology. But, you know, when I think of the brilliance of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, you know, putting together the bill of rights and helping um, elect with John Adams, people like Thomas Jefferson, who was young and to be able to come up with what we know today as the declaration of independence and no doubt it had a lot of uh, reviews and edits, but the the, the core messaging there uh, came from Thomas Jefferson, somebody who was well-versed and well-read, which is why they appointed him to be able to, to write a letter to the king himself uh, declaring our independence and, and, and the brilliance. And, and so we can fixate so much on the author, the writer, the speaker, the visionary, whoever. But when we do that, please hear me. When we do that, 
then the wisdom of man is what we've elevated. You see, the persuasion or the intellect of human ingenuity is not what saves us from our sin. Let me say that again. The persuasion or intellect of human ingenuity is not what saves us from our sin. Paul willingly submitted to the Holy Spirit so that the demonstration of the Spirit and power might save them. Because he says that your faith, you know, the expository's Bible commentary says not only the act of believing, but the substance of their belief based on the person and work of Christ. So it's not just believing He says, so that your faith doesn't rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So it's not just believing in Jesus Christ as Savior, but your belief is based on that truth. Faith means nothing if it's not placed in God. I love this phrase, might not rest, when he's talking about their faith. It carries the concept that it's not for for your faith to be built on man's wisdom, And I got to say, my friends, if you need to share this with some people, please do so because so much of what we have done in Jesus' name is not in his name. It's not in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, but it's on the man. man. It's on the wisdom of man. Paul's message, however, is about the power of God. He said it in verse four and he says it again in verse five because he's making a point. His message of the cross was accompanied by signs. If you go back, you can chart it. Chapter 1, verses 22. Chapter 1, verses 24. Romans chapter 15, 18 and 19. I'll give you 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That was Paul's hope for the church, that their faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of man. Think about how much we have built in vain because it's not in the demonstration of the spirit of power, but it is according to the wisdom of man. And that's what we focus on. And that's what we give high praise to. And we will do whatever we need to do or we will go to great lengths to try to get that person's attention and when we get it oh don't we feel so special and yet in the process we push Jesus aside we quench the work of the Holy Spirit and then we start building 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 in the name of that visionary in honor of that visionary rather than in honor of the king of kings. So my friends, as I close, I want you to look back on this portion of scripture in chapter two. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. When you see growth in a church, now I'm not just saying numerically, but when you're growing in your faith, when you are growing in discernment and wisdom and understanding, when you're utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you and you 
are doing it in demonstration of the spirit and of power, as verse four says, that, that's the growth. So let's, let's take a, a step back and say, Lord, I want to rely on the Holy Spirit as Paul relied on the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to have hope for my church and for the church, the body of Christ around the world, that we are no longer trying to do things in vain, to gravel the feet of man, to be a man pleaser. But I want to honor you. I want my church to honor you. And so be sensitive to that, my friends. Hey, listen, if you do have any prayer requests or if you have any theological questions or biblical questions or cultural questions, whatever the case may be, I'd love to hear you at info at standstrongministries.org. And if this ministry has touched your life and you are appreciative of it and you find that it's helping you grow in your faith and teach you God's word and you look forward to every episode that we, that we uh, produce, but you've never given to support this ministry, I want to do... Um, I should say, really, I want, I want to do you, do you a favor. And that is really asking you um, to partner with us. And what a blessing that will be. And let us know. Let us know if you go to the website, standstrongministries.org, and you become a monthly donor. Whatever you feel that you can afford, that the Holy Spirit has called you uh, uh, to do, to give, let us know at info at standstrongministries.org. And we love to partner with you so that your funds that you give to this ministry can continue to produce this content so we can continue to help as many Christians just like you stand strong in their faith. So thank you guys. I love you. Until next time, keep standing strong in your faith, my friends. 